Okay, Isaiah 62, verses 1 through 12. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They will never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garnered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones. Lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say, excuse me, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. I'll admit the very first time I read through this as trying to prepare for this sermon, I read through it and I looked up to heaven and went, what? What am I? What? But as I read through it multiple times, and that's what I want to encourage you to do this week is make this a matter of your personal devotion this week, Isaiah 62, and just read through it and ask the Lord to speak to you through it. But let me share with you some of the things that I learned as I meditated on this. And I did go and read some other people's works about this chapter. So it helped me a little bit to, to get a better understanding of what was going on. Some of the things that I thought about. First of all, if you, if you look at verses 1 through 5, it's talking about um, somebody saying, I'm not going to keep silent. I'm not going to be quiet. Um, and we're trying to figure, they, the scholars are trying to figure out, well, who's saying that? Is it... The Messiah that's saying that? Is it Isaiah himself that's saying it? Is it God who's saying it? Nobody really knows. Um, they, they, it depends on which scholar you talk at. But the, the point is, someone, either God the Messiah or Isaiah, someone is saying, I am not going to keep silent about this. I am not going to be quiet for the sake of Jerusalem. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch... And the nations are going to see her righteousness and all the kings the glory. And you shall be called, Jerusalem, you'll be called by a new name that the Lord himself is going to give to you. And I am not going to be silent and I'm not going to stop talking until it happens. Now, let me 
quote to you a very familiar prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that prayer nearly every day. Sometimes multiple times through the day. It's a form for me to center and focus on God. What does it mean when I say, Thy will be done, thy kingdom come? Well, why does it need to be said? I've already said it once. Why do I need to say it again? If you move down to verse 5, excuse me, verse 6 of this, it says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. Scholars are undeniably sure that that is God speaking. I have set watchmen, and all day and all night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Well, what are watchmen? Anybody? What is your, what is your understanding? What are watchmen? Charlene? Watchmen are intercessors. So God himself has placed or appointed or set intercessors and their job day and night is to never be silent. But what are they to be praying? It says, verse 6, you are to put the Lord in remembrance and take no rest and give God no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. In other words, God, through the prophet Isaiah, has already said in the previous chapters, he is going to bring about a healing and a restoration of Jerusalem. And literally, we looked last week in Isaiah chapter 61, that it's actually talking about the time of the Messiah and the second coming of Christ. And the millennial reign, if there is going to be a millennial reign. But the idea being that there's going to come a time when God is ruling among its peop- His people. And God is going to be there, and there's going to be this glorious way of life for all of us who are followers of God. And it says, God has called out intercessors, Isaiah is saying this, that who are, whose job it is, is all day and all night to never ever be silent, but to put God to the test. God, you've declared it. God, you've declared it. Make it so. God, you've declared it. Make it so. That's one of the reasons why I am comfortable praying, God, this is your church. If you want it to close, so be it. But if you don't want it to close, then we got to have some money to cover the costs. And we have to have people to do the ministry. And God, I'm bringing it before you because I, I'm giving everything I've got to give. I'm giving even more than that. Now, I don't want to make this about money. That's not what this is about. What I'm saying is, is that God has said to us, to his people here, but I believe it's also to us, if I've declared something, pray about it. Ten years ago, almost, or eight years ago, maybe it's ten years ago now, I think, God gave us a vision that he was going to bring this church to 150 fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this congregation and the leadership team of this church owned that, and we began praying towards that, but then it didn't really happen, so we just kind of lost the vision. And God said to me clearly a number of months ago, you start declaring this to the people again. This is not something that has changed. I have already declared it, it is going to happen. 
But for some reason, and I don't understand this, and this is something I've never, ever had anybody explain to me adequately to the point where I can understand it fully. But for some reason, God wants God's people to pray and specifically to partner with God about things. It's almost like God, and this, this is a really bad image, because this is, this is what the enemy's trying to do for me. God's going, come on, I got it right here. Just ask for it. Just ask for it. Come on. Just ask for it. You can get it if you can, then ask for it. And I'm not saying that that's not what's happening, but the reality is God does want us to specifically get on our face before him and acknowledge that he's the source and acknowledge that we need him and plead with him for what we said. Jesus in his gospel said, a type of prayer is a man comes to, uh, a man receives a visitor to his home and he doesn't have enough bread to feed his visitor. So he goes to his neighbor in the middle of the night and he says, I need some bread. Hey, I need some bread. Hey, I need some bread. Hey, I need some bread. And it says that the neighbor's like, he's not going to go away until they give him bread. I better get out of bed and just give him some stupid bread so I can get back to sleep. And the whole while the guy's down in the street going, hey, I need some bread. Hey, I need some bread. And Jesus said that that was an example of what, what adequate and real prayer is supposed to be. What? Don't give up. Be persistent. If God has indeed declared something, then you continue to say, God, you declared it. And I'm believing it. And I'm waiting for you to make it happen. God, you declared it. And I believe it. I'm making for you, waiting for it to happen. These people who had these words literally sat in Babylon for 75 years and never saw it happen. For 75 years, some of them died never seeing it happen. But we know from our history that we can look back and see that it indeed did happen, that the Babylonian exile did end after 75 years, and they were able to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, it was as we looked at it last week, it was not a complete restoration as is being declared here, so we understand that some of this is talking about the messianic time in the in the years when Jesus comes back after his after his second coming but there is a role for God's people and that is to continually be on their face before God declaring thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven i believe it i'm claiming it and father god i'm reminding you of the promises that you've made and there's nothing inappropriate in that and quite honestly I'm guilty of not being the praying pastor that I need to be because I'm like, I've already prayed it. How many times do I have to pray it? And the Lord said, you keep praying till I, take, till I make it happen. That's how long you have to do it. You keep praying until I make it happen. Yes, sir. And so I'm taking him at his word and I'm doing that. In my personal time, when I pray over this congregation's needs, I continue to say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I believe that you're going to do what you said you're going to do, but it is still yours to do, not mine. And the thing is, for whatever reason, he wants all of you to do the same thing. I don't understand it. It's kind of like, and I preached on this a number of years ago. Kathy Turinsky was in the room when I did because she sent me an email later saying she loved it. But I preached using the, the Dr. Seuss story, Horton Hears a Who. And if you remember in that story, all of the Who's on the dust speck were trying to make themselves known because they were about to be destroyed because all of the bad people were getting ready to boil that dust speck in a pot of boiling oil. And everyone's making noise, we are here, we are here! And they can't get through... Until finally they find one last little who in the corner somewhere just playing with a yo-yo, not making any noise at all. And as soon as that last one joins in and says, Yup! The, the heavens burst open and we are here, we are here, we are here. 
and they are saved. And I preached that some way, I don't understand it, but some way God expects all of his people to be on their faces pleading with him before he actually acts. Now, does that mean every single person in this room? Does that mean there are 10 people who have been ordained as the intercessors? And as soon as those 10 are faithful in what he's called them to do, then he's going to... I don't know. All I know is that I'm one of them. I know that. I know I'm called to be a prayer warrior for this congregation and for this community. I believe there's more than just me. I know that there are people who meet every Thursday night who faithfully pray over this church and this community. And I believe they're called to be intercessors. I know there are others who, who pray at other places and other times. But it is, is, does that mean that all of us are being faithful to pray? Or does that mean that there's still one or two of you sitting in the corner playing with your yo-yo and not getting on your face before God and praying? And until all of us are engaged in doing what God has ordained us to do, God's not going to do anything. He's just going to sit there and wait for obedience. I don't know. I, I don't have that magic forecasting mirror, that, that crystal ball or that per- periscope that I can look into the future and say, oh, well, that's why. I can look back and say, oh, that was why. But I do know, I do know that what I hear God saying here is this, that you can test him. And that he expects you to continue to come before him as an intercessor, as a prayer warrior, on behalf of the people that he's put a burden in your heart for. I knew people who prayed for somebody's salvation for 50 years. Died, never seeing it. And then the person came to Christ at their funeral. I've known of those stories. But God has a reason for calling out intercessors and expects us to be faithful. That's the one thing that I see here. But the other thing that really bugged me as I was seeing this. Look at verse 4. You, Jerusalem, or you, Jewish people, or you, my people will no longer be called forsaken or desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. And then look at verse 8. It says, the Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food. Which means at one point he did. And as you think about that, as I thought about that, I was like, God, if you love these people and if you care deeply about these people. Why do you allow these bad things to happen to them? These people suffered for 75 years. Some of them, it wasn't their fault. Why? I don't understand. And you know what God pointed me to? I didn't like these words. Leviticus chapter 26. And we don't have time this morning to read it. It's like 45 verses long. If I try to read it, it takes take an hour. But you can read it in your own time. If you read Leviticus chapter 26, it's divided into two sections. One, The first section is called the blessings for obedience. How God is going to treat you if you're obedient to him. And the second one part of this is the punishment for disobedience. And God very clearly, if, we, if you take the time to read it, God very clearly laid out. If you don't, then this will happen. And if you look then at the history of Israel, it's exactly what happened. You see, what God said to me as I meditated on this was, I didn't force Abraham into a covenantal relationship with me. I didn't. 
I offer to him a covenantal relationship. And I even, if you go back to that story where God walked the blood path himself, God said, let it be done to me if either one of us break this. Let it be done to me if either one of us break this covenant. Okay? And God said when he met with Moses on the mountain in Sinai, giving the law, he said, now this is what it means that your ancestor Abraham did when we went into covenantal relationship. Because of our covenant, I promise you blessing upon blessing upon blessing, and you will be blessed beyond anything you can imagine. But I'm not a God to be messed with. I don't play. I am your God. I don't share my right, my glory with anybody. And if you don't want to play by these rules, get out now. Because once you enter this covenant with me, this is what I expect from you. And he lays it all out. And then when they didn't, he did what he said he was going to do. See, it wasn't God being capricious or mean-spirited or or holding and dangling it over the weak little thing saying, come on, jump, 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 you can get it, jump. He's literally saying, you honor me as God, I promise you blessings. You don't want that, that's fine. Go someplace else, find something else. But if you enter into covenant with me, this is my part. But this is what I expect from you. And if you don't honor that covenant, heaven help you. But the reality is, even in all of that, the cross still happened. Because God walked the blood path with Abraham. And when he did, he said, if either one of us breaks this covenant, let it happen to me. The penalties. And so God allowed his only begotten son to die on the cross. Because of us and our sin. The Babylonian exile happened because of the disobedience of the leadership of the nation of Israel. What Isaiah is saying here in chapter 62 of Isaiah is, God is a God who will not be toyed with. He is a God of honor. He is a God of promise. He is a God of blessing. And he literally says, I challenge you. Try me. See if I won't honor you. See if I won't bring blessing to you. See if what I've said won't come true. Trust me. Continually come to me and I will pour out blessing upon blessing. But I won't be messed with. You try to mess with me and you're going to find out what it means to mess with God. So either you enter into covenant with me or you don't. But if you do, I don't play. And this is what I expect from you. And see, that to me is a loving thing. If I say to my child, don't touch that. If you touch that again, there will be consequences. And they look at me and they go. If I don't follow through with the consequence that I promised them, I am not a loving parent. Because I'm not teaching my child how to live appropriately in this world. I'm teaching them to be rebellious. I'm teaching them to be lawless. I'm teaching them to flaunt respect. I mean, to flaunt uh, the, the authority that's over them. So if I tell my child, these are the rules of this house. If you violate these rules, these will be your consequences. If I don't follow through on the consequences, because I love my kid and I don't want to hurt them. Well, then I'm not loving my child. And it's the same way with God. He is a very loving God. And he honors that, that covenantal relationship. 
But at the same time, he said, you don't play. Because if you do, this is what will happen. Now, there's lots of other things we could look at this morning. Uh, There's tons and tons of things that we could go down trails. I wanted to focus on those two things. Number one, test him. Come before him in prayer. Believe the promises that he's made to us. Number two, he is not a capricious God. He is a God who can be honored. I mean, who is to be honored and can be trusted. But he is a God who expects full place. He doesn't share it with anybody. The last thing, and then we're done. There is this thing saying that God has given them a new name. God has said you are no longer known as being forsaken, but you're now being known as being married and being delighted over. And there's this sense, and that's the reason I chose the scripture that's up on the screen. There's this sense that when you enter into this covenantal relationship with God, and he paid the penalty, and he took on the penalty for our sin, we, be, we get the benefit of being holy and righteous and redeemed at no cost to us, except our allegiance. And we are redeemed. And there is, there's so much packed into that word redemption. So much that we don't have time this morning to go into. It. But you need to understand, the people that these words were written to were the people who felt that they had no, lost all hope, they had lost all standing, They had lost all their property. They had lost any promises that they had had for the future. Everything was wiped out and gone. And God is declaring over them, there's a new name coming to you. And you are going to be loved. And you are going to be welcomed. And you are no longer going to be forsaken. And you are going to be redeemed. And it will be by my hand. Thus says the Lord. That's the promise to the people of Israel who were in the the exile. But I believe it translates into a promise to us today. The one thing that I I felt like God was saying to me this morning was this. He demands all of us to be entered into a covenant relationship with him. He has provided the remedy for our sin. And he demands lordship over our lives. And so my responsibility to us this morning is to ask those questions. Number one, have you ever been given the opportunity to enter into covenantal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If not, you can do that right now. It's simple. You confess that you are a sinner and and you ask God to forgive you of your sins. And you tell God, I never want to do them again because I know how they harm you. And so I repent of any sins that I've ever done and I will no longer sin in the future. That's number one. Number two, if you've already taken that step in your life and you are indeed a redeemed Christian, God is a God who doesn't play. And God demands first place. Remember we sang that song, Be Thou My Vision. I don't walk in the path of the, of the, of the sinners. I don't sit with them. I don't, I don't affiliate with them. I walk holy, righteous, pure, in ways that bring honor and glory to God. My whole focus is God. What that means is, Jesus must not only be your Savior, but He must be your Lord. And that Lordship 
is not something that is put on you. It is something that is offered to you. And you have the right to say yes or no to that offering of lordship. And you simply by faith receive it and say, I receive the lordship of God. I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I receive the empowerment to live the life that God has for me. But again, it's by faith. And so there's, there's, the, there's the three stages, if you will, of being a human being. There's one, where you aren't in right relationship with God, and I'm in a covenant relationship. There's two, you are in a covenant relationship, but you've yet to submit to the Lordship of God. And third, you are a covenant relation, you're in a covenant relationship, and you have submitted to the Lordship of God, and then you walk in it. And as I said already many times this morning, God doesn't play. He's going to hold these standards. These aren't changing. This is the expectation. This is what he has said needs to happen. And it is the same for every single human being. So I'm saying to you this morning, if you are not in right relationship with God, whether it's you've never had a covenantal relationship, you're walking in disobedience in your covenant relationship, or you've never accepted the gift of lordship and all that that entails, this is your time. You don't know what's going to happen when you leave this building. This is your moment. If you don't accept this time and you die leaving this building, you will answer to a holy and righteous God. And he doesn't play. He doesn't play. Let's pray.